Welcome to the Living a Stream podcast, where we chat about movies, shows, documentaries we watched on the many streaming platforms available out there. Hosted by people who are living the dream, our own or someone else's, watching things on a stream, our own, or most likely someone else's. We choose a platform and then a genre or section of that platform, such as just added, critically acclaimed, horror, comedy, thriller, action, and then we discuss that movie using the Jimmy V 1993 SB speech rubric. If the movie makes us laugh, think, and cry, whether tears of joy or sadness, or fear, then it's a full movie. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Harrison. And I'm Josh Perez. And on this week's episode, the platform is Netflix, good old trusty Netflix. And the section for this movie is documentary. So we are watching, or we watch The Deepest Breath, a documentary on free diving. But before we get into that, Eric, um, what have you been up to, dude? How's your summer been? I think uh, my first question is too, is like, how did you convince me to start a podcast with my arch nemesis over this summer? I was going to start this by saying shout out Netflix because they had great selections, but I, I'm going to take that back because we've been mooching off of a lot of other people's accounts in previous years and we had to create our own account for the first time. <laughs> like this August was the first month where we had to like set up a Netflix account, pay that $12 a month. It's been pretty brutal. It's $12 a month now? I'm going to be straight up. I don't remember, but it's not $8. It's You can pay up to like 20 bucks for a high definition, but I'm not bougie. Yeah. Is that because of the whole household thing? The new roles and yeah, oh yeah, it's pretty right. brutal. Yeah, I have my own too. How long have you had your own? Your love? Uh, oh, <laughs> you son of a gun! The one that I've always paid for on my own and I felt it's worth it. Never complained is HBO Max. Gotcha. Just, it's the best one. Absolutely, the best one. Sixteen ninety nine. Absolutely worth it. Uh, let's see. Summer. Summer's been great. It's been a great couple of weeks. Definitely been laughing a lot. Definitely been crying a lot. No, actually. I did cry last week because we dropped my son off at like a sports camp for a week. And for the oh. first time, like on his own to do sport, it was like this super fun thing, but he's in first grade. So it's super sad. So when okay. Kelly and I walked to the car, started to tear up a little bit. I was like, oh my God, what's going on? Dude, she he's getting old, man. Us. He's growing up. Getting super old. He's yeah, doing he driver's ed soon. Absolutely. But it's been good. Otherwise, lots of we. Let's see, deep sea fishing for the first time this summer, which was a lot of what? fun. It's a, It was exhausting. We were in San Diego, went like five hours out of the ocean, didn't get seasick. Oh, man. Lots of Did fun. You catch Lots anything? of bike rides. Oh, absolutely. What, what What kind of fish is it? Is it deep like sea a, fishing always the same fish? Or is it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's regions and stuff and areas. I think you can get different kinds of fish. We got tuna. And it was so expensive to ship the tuna because once you catch it, you can keep it. And I took a couple of pictures, right? Updated the LinkedIn and, and all that jazz. <laughs> Did not ship it back. It was like $500. I was like, I'm not that big a fan of tuna. What do you mean? How how big was, big was this tuna? It was huge. It was like 40, 40 pounds. So it was really heavy. But I'm a millennial. So it's like, I got the photo. That's all I need. Like I can go down the street to Albertsons, our grocery store, and just get yes, tuna if I thing. want. Like, hey, look, it's the tuna I caught. Yeah, exactly. Nobody knows when it's chopped up. You have no idea. I was going to ask if it was 800 pounds because of the other guys. <laughs> oh, my like, God. talks about 800-pound tuna. I was like, wait, do tunas really get that big? I Probably. Mm, uh, they have to. That's they have massive. To. How about you? You've been a, you've been out and about all summer. Yeah, dude. I just, you know, out out in the, what do they call it out here? Front range? Just kidding. Front range? Um. Yeah, dude, it's been it's been a pretty busy summer. Um, I got to spend a week back in Albuquerque, which was a really good, really good uh, week. There's a lot of, I mean, it was busy and it was full, but um, there was a lot going on. You know, getting to see Albuquerque sunsets again was nice. Getting to see friends. Um, didn't it was see the, me. Didn't, didn't see, see you, dude. Mm. Mm, we'll discuss that later. We'll just, dude. I'm so sorry, dude. It was Fourth of July. My parents said, "Hey, you can stay with us. You just can't hang out with Eric." Oh, that's you're always getting up to some shit. That's just kidding. Amazing. No, um, yeah, that was that was on me, man. I dropped the ball on that one. But um, we can get into that on next week's episode. Not even but, five minutes in, and I'm just tearing. <laughs> you know what happens, dude? I expect it from you. But um, but yeah, it, that that was solid, dude. It's because I think the time the time I was in Albuquerque before that was like Christmas. It was like the longest amount of time that I'd really? been. 
Yeah, dude. That because last year I felt like I was in Albuquerque every other every other week, maybe even like you know, or maybe it's more like once a month. But still, it was I was in Albuquerque quite a bit, and so this year um, it feels a little different, you know. Um, which is, yeah, I think you know I'm 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 pumped to be away and not you know traveling as much because it can be exhausting. Um, but yeah, it was definitely interesting to be uh, to realize like yeah, I hadn't been in Albuquerque for like seven months. Seems that's, odd, but that's enough. Especially you're close enough to where you can drive, but you can also. It's like so you. I don't know. It's interesting. If you were far enough to where you had to fly every time, you know. It's, yeah, it's a different scenario. Yeah, dude. I mean, one of the. I mean, and if I get like super rich anytime soon, oh, that is a completely different scenario, dude. And just fly. I'm gonna be like, yeah, I'm gonna fly this weekend and not worry about it. You know. Absolutely. That so, like so listeners, somebody sponsor this podcast. So we'd love to introduce you. I'd love to say this episode's brought to you by X Y Z. Southwest Airlines. Just there it kidding. is. But uh yeah, dude. No, but it's been it's been nuts. And then I moved. I moved uh moving, I think is one of the it it gets you I feel like brings out a whole lot of emotions. Good, bad, bitter, sweet, laughter, sadness, frustration, joy, even you know, sometimes tears of joy, I think, because you know, I don't know if you've ever lived in a place where yeah, it was really like that specific home or that specific house had a lot like was the yeah housed a lot of memories it housed a lot of um yeah do you have any like any any houses that stick out to you is like yeah that one housed a lot of good full memories it's it's so interesting to me i feel what's when kelly and i got married and moved into our house together there's this sense of like and i'm sure you felt this this place is my home right it's like when you grew up it was your parents house was home nothing else felt similar or like it was your grandparents house like this is comforting to me. And it was interesting thinking about the house that we're in now. It only took a few months in for it was like, this is the place mm. that I feel the most comfortable. So my parents' house or where I grew up or like our first house or even grandparents' house started to feel less familiar after we moved. I don't know. As you're talking about moving, it's interesting. Like our home here feels the safest, feels the most familiar. And when I go to these other homes that used to, like I go to my yeah. grandparents' house, a grandparents' house, Man, we had just I, like the fun that we had with cousins and like the stain over there. But it it's like it feels less and less that way as the years go by. I don't know. It's interesting. You're right. Moving or I guess not spending as much time in someone's home or in a place anymore feels different. Do you feel that when you come back home here? Like what what's where do you feel is like your most familiar place? No, that's a that's a great question. I mean, especially because I've probably moved around, you know every other year kind of thing yeah I, you and kelly have been in that house for a long time yeah since we this, since we got married this is dang house. see that's and see i feel like in that thinking about moving is like for me oh, moving is one thing you know i'm like oh yeah this is sad or whatever but you're you kind of have the i think i my my thing is thinking about well what if i move into this place and this is home for the next four years and yours is probably this is our home for the last x amount of years move mm. moving what do you mean like that would be a tough thing to to leave that for house sure but, but yeah, no, similar, dude. Like, I think my parents' house will always have a, a solid, special place of familiarity. As it, dude, that was like our, our spot all through high school, where all the friends, all the people, like my mom, you cook food for everyone. There was always, you know, my mom and dad always opening the house for people to come over. And so, yeah, dude, that kitchen, that island, the island in the kitchen, dude, was just memories of us just loitering around that, dude, eating, like frozen pizzas and, and how, how long were you guys in that house with the pool yeah 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 we were in that house since like 2005 oh you guys uh, are, so you guys were there for 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 oh man that's so wild because i remember i have a picture of you in my phone i don't know we did some what are the odds and you were fully clothed at like 9 a.m and we had pushed you in for okay. some reason i don't know what i i have to find oh see i told you i was gonna burp a lot those diet dr peppers dude i'll get yeah, you sponsor us um <laughs> But yeah, it's like, and here's the other thing too, is your closest friends in high school or other people that you have been close with have memories at the same place. Different memory is so. Oh yeah. Like I have friends who would be like, Josh, when you come back to town and when are you going to invite me to your parents' house? Yeah. I need to go back since, you know, college and high school. That's crazy. Yeah, dude. It's, it is. Yeah. We were in the house for a, for a long time, dude. And, and yeah, I always ended up in that pool with all my clothes on for various reasons. I don't a million reasons. I don't know why. You did not have long hair in the photo. You were buzzed, maybe an inch maybe? away from a buzz oh, close. Oh dang. 
Dang. So it had to be prior. Yeah. Previously 2014. I think you're in college. You were in college yeah. at the time. Okay. That makes sense. Old as dirt now, dude. Old as dirt, dude. Freaking 32 in like a month, but we don't need to talk about that, Eric. Isn't your birthday in like four days? Uh, Yeah, yeah it's soon. Dang, dude. We're like a month apart. Well, kind of. Like two years apart. You're old, man. That's a big You're old, he says. Wait, you're turning 30. No, you're 29. Yeah. Never mind, dude. Do you want to trade ages for a little bit? Maybe. Absolutely not. You're getting All up there. Right. <laughs> All right, dude. What do you say we jump into this uh, this documentary, dude? Let's do it. All righty. So this, this is uh, The Deepest Breath. I told Eric about it. I randomly watched it uh, with the roomies. They were like, hey, we want to watch this documentary about about free diving and i don't know much about free diving i knew it was a thing but i didn't know what exactly that meant and i was like yeah sure oh by the way there's gonna be lots of spoilers so um either don't care about spoilers or pause this and go watch it and then come back because the thing i'm about to say in two seconds will spoil the whole thing okay when going into the deepest breath i had no idea i was watching the the fault of our stars of documentaries dude <laughs> my heart got ripped out and the whole time dude the whole uh, the whole time I thought, you know, they set it up like someone's going to die. And I don't know if you felt that way. Like, oh, someone's so it seems like someone's dead or someone died. And the whole time I did not even think it was Steven like at well, all, especially because the opening scene, I, I thought that the entire documentary was building up to show how she dies because in that opening scene, which it comes up for breath. So I'm like, oh, damn, like this is just a bunch of bit like I was prepping myself to watch the rest of that clip like her her dying in steven's arms or dying in like the safety team's arms at based on that first intro clip yeah and i was totally bamboozled totally bamboozled. Yeah. and but the thing is any interview it felt like they were talking about them both as if they had passed oh she loved this yeah. he loved this and so i'm like i don't know what's happening did, how did yep. he die he looked fine right so i was yeah. just flabbergasted oh dude same like it really did a good job with like foreshadowing by or misdirection or the way they set up the editing I thought was pretty sweet in terms of trying to get the viewers to feel a certain thing and to think a certain thing. Uh, I think they did a, a, a great job of that. But uh, yeah, this, 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 if Rotten Tomatoes means anything to anybody, um, 84% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, 95% um, audience score, 100 plus ratings. This documentary came out in 2023 and it was a Sundance selection. Does that does that intrigue you, Eric? Like Rotten Tomatoes and Sundance or like film festivals? Like if you see a movie that has a stamp that's like, oh, this was selected by does that does that influence your desire or your watch? What does is this is weird. And I, I don't have any information. I should have information next time. I'm gonna look it up for the next episode on length of standing ovation at these film festivals because oh. you'll always see that right like oh they had like the whale apparently it was like half hour yeah that, actually i'm gonna look it up right now the whale apparently had a really long yeah did see. you watch the um, whale yeah oh yeah have you seen it yes okay i'm sorry i'm really really dramatic um six minutes <laughs> <laughs> listen listen um it was the venice international film festival and it was six minutes but Hold on. Hold on. Think about that. That's a long time. It is. And it's innovation. So if you think I'll about it, that. six microwave minutes might be 30 real minutes. Absolutely. Reality, you know? And when I see that on Twitter, I'm like, all right, I've, I probably got to see this. Um, Rotten Tomatoes always does get me. Like, I'm a sucker for... Now, I know there's always a difference right between the audience score and the critic score. There's a lot of movies that I like that I'm sure haven't been scored the best by critics, but I... Kelly gets so mad at me because I'll look at Rotten Tomatoes before we watch something. She's like, oh, I heard about this great movie. And like, I'll pull up my phone and she's like, no, stop. Just watch it first. So I do my best. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, when it's like, if it's like 70% or higher, I mean, even 60, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm going to watch it. It doesn't matter yeah. what it is. But it does inflate. And I hate that sometimes that it does. Because there's some really good stuff that are like 50s and 30s that I really enjoy. And But so anyways. you know what got rated pretty high? What? A place beyond the pines. Oh my gosh, dude! We'll talk about that later. Yes, we will. I need to rewatch it and yell at you about it. But uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, deepest so breath. Like the thing with that is, I didn't. You told me about it. I think I had seen some stuff on Twitter, maybe about how great it was, and I didn't look up anything. I just went into it raw that night. Oh wow! Yeah. So which was which is kind of nice. Like I did that with Barbie yeah. this summer. 
typically if it's something streaming, I'll Google like the shit out of it before. Yeah, I but know. I, I was I was holding back the whole time, not getting on my phone to Wikipedia stuff because oh, so I didn't want to ruin it for me because I was I I, I did want because similar we had it sounds like we had similar watches because yeah this movie's about um I'm gonna say her name wrong this whole time because it's Italian but I keep wanting to lean into the the like Mexican Latino like uh, Alicia right no yeah Al Alessia Alessia Alessia. I'm see. I'm already throwing in like the a, a Spanish accent on there, but uh, but yeah. So she's she she's chasing a world record, you know, for the the free diving, and she is competing against all these people, and it kind of backtracks all her story from when she's a kid and growing up, and and chasing and all these world records and competitions and um awards and the what the the woman she looks up to it's N Nica Nicola no I think it was like not Natalia. Natalia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Natalia. See, my bad. Way off. Yeah, Natalia. Like in in so it 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 follows this woman's journey and it open like you're like we were saying earlier, it opens up to make it I thought even the opening conversation about death and mm. they the the interview asks about what she thinks about death and she's like, "Well, I just think it, you know, I don't really think about it. Like I it's something that I believe if someone's going to die, it's going to come to them kind of thing. And you just kind of have to like go for it. And then the cuts to like the next scene is like her coming out of the water, blacking out. And before I knew what a blackout was before, I was like, what is going on? Do you have a seizure like in the water? You oh. know, they start performing CPR and mouth to mouth breathing. And that's like the opening. And I was like, and the shots were beautiful. I, like even the single take dude, where it's like her swimming all those meters and the camera was just tough floating to down. And the heartbeat, I was like, this is stressing me out. That was, it was super tough to watch. Like, I, I feel like I couldn't breathe as I was watching that because it's just, there's, what, what, the other thing that was interesting too is like the character, they're not characters, the, the subjects of the documentary, when the clips of them taking in their last breaths before they go and do their actual free dive, mm -hmm. they're so serious, they're so technical and like otherworldly when they're in the water performing these techniques. But then they seem just like the chillest humans yeah. in their in in the B roll and in their interviews, and so the, like for people to flip the switch like that with some, it, it's that's pretty gnarly. And I, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't realize it was such a competitive sport. I guess I just figured free diving was like, hey, I'm gonna go see what kind of creatures are 15 meters below, right? Like I didn't realize it was. I don't know. That was nuts. Yeah, dude, I didn't. That's a. I know it has nothing to do with the documentary or the sport, and I'm sure they figured it out, but. I was so concerned about creatures. I was like, what if I, do they just Absolutely. push sharks away? Like our animals or I don't know what's down there. Dude, we went to Hemis Falls last week here in New Mexico and there's fish, you know, where you can swim by the bottom of the falls, there's fish. And like, I know it's controlled environment, but I'm like, man, I don't want to get snipped by something. And that's in like a five foot deep spring water in New Mexico, like in the ocean down there. And they can't panic, right? They have to have their breathing technique down and so a lot of the shots were towards the end, right before, again, spoiler alert, right before Steven dies, when the scuba diver is like following them yeah, and trying to alert them, right? You can hear her screaming. She can only move so fast because she has all the equipment, mm -hmm. but also Alessia, Alicia, she can't panic. She's got to control her breathing. She's been holding her breath for so long. So like, hey, you see some kind of creature, a jellyfish? Yeah. You're toast. Oh, yeah, dude. I When I was... I used to go snorkeling when I like on family vacations and stuff like in the 90s. So I must have been like eight or nine, maybe 10. And it was fine. Like I, I liked seeing, you know, the the animals and the reefs and the coral and all that stuff. And then I went, I did it again as like a high schooler. I think I was like 16 or 17. And even now at, as an uh, older adult or an older child, if you will, uh, it gives me such panic. Like I get claustrophobic. I, I'm like, well, this Absolutely. is so close to me. What if it cuts me? Because I hear all these stories of people getting cut on coral reefs and then infections. And I just, I'm like, I don't know how you don't panic. I don't think I'd be able to do any of this. But so, do you like the ocean now? I mean, aside from thinking of that, just in general, like you're in California, you're some kind of coast. Do you like the ocean? I mean, I like the idea of it. Like I, I like going. Like I don't mean? mind going to the beach, and I think the the ocean is a giant you know cool mystery and there's a lot of beauty in it and it's it's rad but i don't understand why we mess with the ocean like i don't understand why i would go in it i 
Maybe you and I had this it's debate. It's horrifying. We, we had a debate with some family and friends when we were we were in Mexico in May for a wedding. And we were kind of just swimming and the current was pretty tough, so we didn't go out too far. And um, it was this debate like, okay, would you rather spend 24 hours stranded on a floating device in the middle of the ocean or 24 hours stranded in like deep, hard jungle, no equipment? And so it was this heavy debate. Most people opted for the jungle. But my thinking with the jungle was like, there's poisonous frogs, right? There's tigers. I mean, there's so many things that can tear you apart. But then someone put this perspective. So my thought was floating device in the ocean, right? Yeah, I get sunburned. Yeah, I'm dehydrated. Until somebody said, there's not one creature in the sea, even as small as jellyfish, where you are the alpha ever. You get off, yeah. you're off that floating device, you're toast. Yeah. Something wants to eat you. Something wants to sting you. They will. It doesn't matter how much larger you are, right? Like thinking of these poisonous creatures in the jungle, you know, you can create a weapon. You're larger than it. They're more afraid of it than of you than uh, you are of them. This whole, the whole bit not in the ocean. Like you're never the superior swimmer. You're not the superior anything. And so I've changed my mind now on that. Like I love the ocean, but after the other thing too, is after deep sea fishing, man, that is when you're out there, you can't see any, any coast. You can't see any land. You see no other ships. Like, yeah, we're on this commercial ship. Right. But when you're really just staring off into the mist, that's disgusting. Yes. No idea. No idea. Dude, the unpredictableness of it. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And that's literally my own take on that too with the jungle is, oh my, the land is our home turf. I know that there's things out in the jungle that are obviously faster, better, stronger, all those things than me. But moving on land is our, as humans are not, or like, well, yeah. most people, you know, is our natural like environment and habitat. So I was like, why would I put myself, it, I, I'm starting off, yeah. In, in in the red, you're already at a like. disadvantage. I'm already yep. at a disadvantage being in water because that's not my. I can't hold my breath forever. I'm like, why would I choose? Why would I choose that? And also shade. You know that is a and good also point. shade. I don't want to be out in the ocean with no shade. But yeah, dude, I think that's for the most part my. It because that is interesting. Thinking it, this movie made me think about how people's relationship with the oceans can vary so much because especially after mm. a year of a lot of ocean um events like you know with the submarine imploding with with people getting eaten by sharks there's one dude who got eaten off the coast of Egypt and and it just things things like that where I'm like it it is interesting like thinking about people's relationships with the ocean because they in this documentary hearing like Steven's dad or um Alicia uh, Alicia's Alicia's dad's uh commentary about what they see and how they feel about their kids being in the ocean and feeling mm. at home and natural. And I think even um, Alicia said something about how she loves it so much because it seems like it's the last quiet place on all of earth. And mm, that's right. That's like not something I would like. I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that, but it's not my first thought. I'm not like, yeah, let's go to the ocean because I'm going to find peace. And that's the other thing too is like it, can be learned you know anybody can learn, train and learn to be a strong swimmer but i think that so there's this pro uh, skier that i that i follow and really enjoy his story he and his sister grew up in the mountains his name is john collinson john um collinson. he rides for red bull his sister's name is i think angel collinson anyways he shared this story in interviews with red bull before that they were raised in the mountains like they were homeschooled dad was ski patrol didn't make a lot of money you know because you know ski patrol doesn't make that much cash and but they provided them with the experience of they existed winters and summers in the mountains. I mean, and now they're both these absolutely incredible city-of-the-art athletes, right, for Red Bull and North Face and everything. So, like, yeah, I think you can train to be a great swimmer. Like, you can train to be a great skier, but there's a certain point where if that's your environment, when that's, like, your second home, you and I could train to be swimmers, man, but that's not for us that's not our peace and quiet it's like chaos it's and at the end too when there is that panic where they don't know where they are in the documentary when he's like there's tourists about 20 Mm. meters away who aren't strong swimmers we're looking for them among them it's like yeah for the most part we can swim right i can swim i think i'm a decent swimmer in a controlled pool Uh at like my uncle's house it's not the same in the ocean so if you don't grow up near it and living and breathing it you're just you're like a different level. The, 
they're a different level of animal, these athletes. It's like outrageous. Oh, for sure. Dude, that's funny. That 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 part gave me a little not a chuckle because of them panicking and, and being in trouble, but a chuckle when he when that other free diver said, the younger one said, Yeah, and there's like all these tourists that are like in pro they don't know how to, I think the the way you phrased it was they don't know how to swim properly or they're yeah. improperly swimming and they and had I, clips of them and I used to and for a second you know the the, the first time because I watched this twice um the first time I watched it it made me laugh and I was also like that's kind of like what do you mean I was like improperly <laughs> swim how do you, it's swimming like there's yeah I understand there's techniques but I in my mind I thought I was comparing it more so to in like if you're not racing like breaststroke butterfly freestyle then i'm like then you're just swimming there's not like proper or improper but then the second time i watched it i really got like which uh, weirdly enough normally i'm most emotional the first time i watch something this i was way more emotional and feeling everything maybe it's because i knew what was going on and i knew where mm. it was leading the second time because then that improper swimming did make me not like chuckle as much because I was thinking about, um, yeah, Natalia, um, and it, the one, and she's the the woman that held the re world record before her, right? And she was just yep. went for a 30, 40 meter free dive swim off the coast of Spain, I believe, and yeah. just disappeared. And then I realized, properly swimming, what they're getting at is, yeah, currents. It's technique. It's a way to keep yourself safe in different environments. And if you're that deep. Cause I couldn't, I, dude, literally that, that opening shot, I was so confused. I learned so much about the ocean and free diving, be, but I was so confused because they were swimming down, right. And they're, yeah. they're kicking, they're pulling, but then at some point they just held still, but they were kept going down. I'm like, they're sinking without kicking. I was like, how? And 110%. I, was I had no, I know this is dumb, but I thought in order for the ocean to like pull you down. You had to be aboard like a uh, like a ship like the Titanic that's sinking. Like that's the when it's sinking, it's because it's so heavy and pulling the water down. That's what's pulling all these people down. I had no idea that if you go deep enough, that there are currents and pressure pushing you down. I thought this. I thought she had like an anchor. Yeah, like, right? I guess I wasn't paying attention. That yeah, same exact thought. Because dude, and then that, and so thinking about how wild that would be to get that call. Or to be the person or to get the call that the water pressure knocked them off course and they just got pushed down into the depths of the ocean yep. never to be recovered. Like that, yeah, that was pretty- Here's uh, the other thing too. That hit pretty Is, hard. What did he say? He said, what, the tourists were 20 or 30 meters away. Mm -hmm. And the thought for me is like, okay, when we've been in Mexico or when we've been in these places, right? There's the initial beach where people will swim at a hotel, but people yeah. often venture elsewhere. We have before, mm -hmm. um, obviously prior to when we had kids, right? We wouldn't expose them to something dangerous, but for sure, you, you have no idea. Those, those tourists have no clue what's below them. And so yeah. the, again, people will always do these, you know, explore and, and try different new things and new areas, but just a couple of meters away, how deep the ocean is. Like, right, that arch is was not that far from them if that's where she was swimming from. Yeah. And so there's currents there. And, it, dude, that is that is a frightening – that's the most frightening thought to me. So in 2015, we were in Mexico with some of Kelly's family. And we took this the, the rental car down to this spot where you could swim off the beach and snorkel. Same kind of thing you were saying earlier, right? Just basic snorkeling. And we were swimming around, and it was about, I'd say, waist deep. And there's, like, cool, colorful fish where we were. And then we got to this point where we saw this eel is really like, I think eels are so demonic. They're so scary. The electric eel, they looks terrifying, but we were intrigued. We're like, oh my God, how cool is this? So we're calling everybody over to go look. And as it started to like slither away, right? It's, it's like evil self. It just, there's just a drop off. It just the ocean, like the, the, the bleach floor just dropped off and you couldn't see anything past like three or four feet. And it was terrifying. So that kind of thing always runs through my head. Is like, yeah, you feel safe here, close to the beach, close to where people will will snorkel. But then the ocean floor is so unpredictable. Yeah, that, that's always stuck in my head. Like just this evil eel that just disappears into like the depths, right? Like that's, dude, right? Like the I think that that sounds similar to that. Was it the blue hole? 
Um, the documentary includes the blue hole from Santa Rosa. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're in uh, off the coast of somewhere. It was another country, right? Um, I'm trying to remember where the, the blue hole is. But they were like, yeah, you literally off the shore, there's like that dock. And then it just is a deep. And it's not. Yeah, it's like feet from the from the shore. Yeah. Uh, it no dude um yeah the ocean the ocean depths all that stuff it 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 is above my um capabilities and my thinking and my understanding of anything about the ocean dude the ocean is a oh the wild wild west for me um dude i did think it was pretty wild that they said 99 percent of accidents though happen in the last 10 meters it makes a lot of sense you know for sure but it just makes me realize like these free divers just really just push themselves. Like I would, I guess what I'm thinking is if it was me swimming down there and I'm like, Oh, I'm running out of breath or my lungs starts to hurt. I'm turning around and I'm getting up and leaving versus going all the way down, getting the, the little tag thing just so you can, you know, swim back up and get the record and stuff. But like, it was very interesting to see that last 10 meters for most people as they're coming up, look like they're so calm and sometimes even graceful to like a switch hitting where it's like, oh, and I think it's like going back to what you're saying. Like if you panic, it wastes burns more oxygen. So yep. I I don't know. That part was really interesting and fascinating to see people where you're like, oh, when one moment they look like they're fine and they're going to make it. And then half a second later, they're just blacking out or they're out and they're needing to be pulled up to the surface. And the other thing too is, again, going back to the tragic last few scenes when Steven was late to going down to going down right so he left or he took his dive 20 seconds after he was supposed to but uh, oh, I forget who was being interviewed I think it was the scuba diver below or no the one who was up top she said I couldn't talk to him because he was still preparing I was confused yeah. why he was late but it's like she he can't stop his routine and his breathing technique to chat and be like hey this is why I'm yeah. late he just had to finish it she said maybe his heart was racing maybe he was nervous but regardless, and I was pissed, right? I was like, dude, I, like knowing what's going to, what that means. And, but then I'm like, look, what use is he if he can't even make it halfway down? If he didn't do his breathing dickery, he's not making it halfway down anyways. And so that's a uh, gnarly. One of the things like I like about this and any documentary is I'm a true sucker for, there's some documentaries to me that have, Every documentary has talking heads, right? But some that have really, it feels like safe interviews, maybe not pre-scripted, but this one and many other great documentaries have really vulnerable interviews with people, mm. right? And so like hearing, I think from their parents was yeah super tragic because you're going to hear from their friends. You're always going to hear from the people who were there sure. on the day of the incident. Um, but for the parents to be willing to share stuff like that, like that stuff was so heavy. The whole situation is, but vulnerable interviews like that man i'm always a sucker for even if i know what's coming even if i know what's going to happen yeah for interviews of even historic events right like i watched one on the boston bombing you can google what happened everybody knows what happened but still like those interviews that aren't so polished i guess will yeah always get me dude same dude i think i think especially i don't know what's going on maybe it's just being on this side of uh 25 maybe but uh anything that has to relate with parents or older folk experiencing suffering or tragedies just wrecks me, dude. Like absolutely wrecks me. I know TikTok, for example, I'm going on a little tangent here, but I know TikTok for, for an example is generally, you know, it's funny. It's humor. Like you watch yeah. it to entertain yourself. Dude, a few months ago, I think it was in the last six. I don't know if you saw this, this 70 something year old woman who was delivering for Domino's because she couldn't live on just her retirement this doorbell um camera saw this domino's woman fall dude like fall hard and i my heart hurt so and then as soon as the people came out because they you know saw it on the camera she was like i'm so sorry i ruined your 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 pizza she, like she was more concerned with her pizza but this lady who's just trying to make you know ends meet at 70 something years old fall dude in high school i'd laugh at that in high school i've been like yeah dude old people falling kids falling this is so funny or you know saying dumb shit but like now I'm, i watch these things that that deal with being a mother being a grandmother being a father being you know older mentor an older person and them experiencing something as you know i think maybe too you just start realizing like falling for for some people is just it's more 
impactful and more it can be very bad more so than than you know younger folk falling over so anyways there's something that's pulling on my heartstrings these these days so watching anyways all that to say is watching these 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 documentaries and and videos and tiktoks about you know parents being vulnerable like steven's dad talking would crush me and especially especially when they talked about how Steven, I thought it was very interesting how the, the, the juxtaposition of, um, or the, whatever you call it, the like contrasting of Alessia and how she, her, her and Steven seemed that they approached death in a similar way in terms of Steven's like, you never know when death is going to come. It's like your day to live. So I'm going to embrace everything. And then she was like, you never know when death's going to come. Like if death's going to come, death's going to come. But there was a little more like nonchalance about it or like I'm not thinking about it versus he thought about it so much that Steven was using death to ground him almost to be like, okay, mm. I need to go. I need to go to these different countries and meet these different people and pursue dreams and do things that I want to do because I'm in reverence or have a re- like a relationship with thinking about death. And I think it seemed like Alicia, she didn't really concern herself with thinking about death frequently. But then seeing how it seemed that it switched, because I don't know if you noticed too, the beginning interview at the very beginning talking about death is the same ride or the same drive going into um, the Blue Hole competition where she blacked out, blacked out, blacked out, and then did uh, the world record. And I'm curious if there was a if that was the beginning of a a shift of her thinking with death. Um, but but yeah, dude, I think those those interviews with the parents were just crushing, dude. They were they were they were. And I like it's so interesting to think about that, right? So my my nana will anytime somebody passes away in the family, she she had like 13 brothers or sisters, and you know a handful of them have passed away at this point. And she had, operates that same mindset, like, oh, like death is just part of life. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So it's that same. But hers is like the same thing that you were saying, nonchalant. It is what it is. She's not worried about it. She doesn't get emotional really about it. And then, but there's the other perspective of like, yeah, it's absolutely going to happen. So because of that, I take action. So it's interesting to see. They yeah. might seem the same on the surface, right? If you have a quick minute conversation with somebody, that's going to happen. It's part of life. That's going to happen. It's part of life. But taking action approaching it one way or the other and i took a i forget what it was called it's not a drake profile but one of those character trait tests at work our whole department did just about how how we work well together who works well with who how you like to communicate and i've always thought like i you know in in an interview they say you know tell us about your strengths and weaknesses well i've always said my weakness is that i work really fast and sometimes i miss things because of that Mm. so this guy who came in to talk about our um, character traits was like, oh, you do that because you have this idea that life is short. So like, let's make the most of each day, but that can harm you in certain ways because you rush through things. And I realized that I do that a lot, like whether it's personal life with the kids, mm. with Kelly, with work, I'm like, all right, what's the next thing? Like, okay. And because of that, sometimes I miss the moment. Mm. And so it says the idea like, yeah, every day is your last, like, you know, li- live up to it, you know, and enjoy each day. Some, the downside of that thinking I learned is like, I won't enjoy this right now because I'm mm. like, what's tomorrow? It's weird. I don't know. But it's uh, anytime I watch something like this where those, those kind of emotional interviews, it, it really just gets you thinking or it should. And when it does, it's enjoyable. It gets you thinking about your own perspective on the same thing. Yeah. Right? Like it, sometimes, how would you react in this situation? But most other times for me, it's like through a tragedy, how did you react? It kind of brings back those kind of feelings or... You know, it, it's, I love a good vulnerable interview like that. Like always, always will get you. Hey, speaking of what you said earlier though, to jump on that tangent, do you remember that punk band, Sum 41? Yes. What do you mean remember? So, Sum 41, Fat Lip. Fat Lip, lip dude. That, in that song, he literally says, uh, let's see. He says, we laugh when old people fall. Like that's literally what it's like. Yeah, 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 I yeah. Had to Dude, that dude, some forty one. That was like, yeah, elementary school. I want to say it was super. You know, it must have been like fifth or sixth grade. And Fat Lip, dude. I remember that was one of the first songs I got on like one of those little 
MP3 because it was like a mini disc. It was like it was not even it wasn't what MP3s are now. And I can't even I don't even remember what brand or what title it is, but it was like these weird little mini disc cassette thingies, but they were tiny. And I remember we 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 burned uh, Fat Lip and some some forty one songs in yep, two thousand one and, and all that stuff. But uh, that's two thousand one. It says because you don't know us at all, we laugh when old people fall. <laughs> Dang, dude, that was <laughs> that's me, terrible. Dude. I know. And they do. They're not a band anymore. They broke no, up. Yeah, they're going on a retirement tour. Ah, oh, that's so sad. Well, that was the jam, dude. I, Mostly listen to their old music, anyways. But so maybe I'm not a true Sum 41 fan because I haven't really. That's hilarious. Kept up with them, but, but, uh, but yeah, dude. I think, I think you got a point, dude. And I think a big part of it too, because I think the opposite is for me. I, I don't rush through. Well, I wouldn't say maybe I do rush through. Maybe that's not the opposite. But for myself, I would say I'm usually a little more on the dramatic side. Like you're, you're saying, oh, life's too short. So I need to keep go, 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 go. And each day for me just seems like it's the most important day or the most intense day or every little thing, what job I do, what all these different decisions that I have to make. And sometimes it takes me a long time to actually pull the trigger and make those decisions because I think that they are too big of a decision or too, too, it's a too um, intense of a mm. situation to not give it such time and care versus what you're saying. It sounds like you're saying you want to move in and make these decisions, not be and not necessarily disregarding the importance of it, but it's, it's more so I need to make a decision so I can go to the next thing and the next thing. Cause life is, you know, is really short and I'm, I'm learning at least my thinking. I shouldn't say learning cause I know this is maybe not true for everybody, but I think a lot of for myself has been a lot of uh, how do I become more balanced and whole, not, lean into either one. So what I mean by that is, is that I think the truth is for myself is that life can be really long and life can be really short because some people are gone way too soon. And then some people live to be a hundred and yet you don't know what life you're going to live until it's too late. Like by the time you realize life's too short, you might not even realized it. You might be gone already or, you know, you, you, you realize life's too short when you know it's coming. It's around the corner versus, you know, thinking for myself, I think I sometimes think, oh, life's so short. I need to do all these things. But because of that, it's making me stressed. And then I'm going to be keep thinking like, oh, any day now, any day now, any day now. Next thing you know, I'm 91 still saying any day now. I'm like, why did I just waste like five decades just telling myself any day now, any day now? Yep. So I think it's just trying to figure out how to live in that that in between of it's too long and it's too short, like take things somewhat seriously, but you also can play a little bit and you don't have to spend, you know, an excess amount of time trying to make these life decisions. It's at the end of the day, it can be just a job or it can be just a, a hobby or it can be just a thing or whatever. It doesn't. That's the other thing too. It's like, thing. yeah, if you, you got to live right in the middle because there's those people, right. Who, like if you spend everything you have because there's no tomorrow, no reason to plan for retirement. Well, if you wake up tomorrow, you're screwed, right? And yeah. so, yeah, it's the in-between yeah. of- Because you can have like a million dollars well, saved up and then die. And then it's like, well, now that money went nowhere. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you- And that's- We're trying to approach that now. Kelly and I- A million dollars? Like, oh, absolutely, baby. We're not even close. But it's like, yeah, let's- because. People will tell us stuff like, oh, the kids aren't going to remember certain experiences or oh, don't take them to Disney or this or that. They won't remember. I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. But the experience of enjoying things with them, if we can afford it, is fantastic. And nobody promised that in 10 years when they can remember it, we're going to have the financial means to or the energy to. Mm. That's the other thing, too, is the energy to do things like, yes, you you plan for when you're 60s, when you run and retire. But why not try to experience things as best as possible now too. So yeah, yeah. you said it, there's a balance right in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I think the kids are running in the hall. Can you hear them? A little bit, but not 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 too wild. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but you're good, dude. I think some of my last thoughts here um, are for are speaking of of you know being too short or too long, dude. Hanako, the the Japanese um, free diver. The, oh yeah, dude. She was such a stud and the way she 
held and composed herself the like when she would floated to the top and then pop out it would seem like with such grace and then the fact that she was a two-time world record holder for like no more than like eight minutes it seemed like was yeah, yeah. heartbreaking to me dude terrible like terrible could you imagine being like i just broke the world record I, no one you know in this category has gone farther than me and then someone did it by one meter the same day like moments minutes you know, literally like right i don't know after. if it's the editing but the editing made me feel like she was the the world champion for a minute and a half yeah 110 percent. it it made me think about uh you seen molly's game oh yeah absolutely it it made me think about uh there's a line in there where where she talks about this world track star in the 1930s and they were at the Olympics and this track star just shattered, like absolutely shattered the Olympic record and then came in second place. And the person who came in first place was Jesse Owens. And so two people shattered the world record, but the person that, that uh, his name is uh, Matthew Robinson, he got, he got beat. Like he, even though he beat the world record, Jesse Owens is the one that went on to be a star and famous and all that stuff. And then, uh, in the movie, they said he went on, Matthew Robinson went on to be a janitor in all white school in Pasadena. Goodness. And the difference between the two was two hundredths of a second. And then on top of that, Molly, you know, says to make matters worth, Matthew had a younger brother and his name was Jackie. It's just because it's Jackie. Robinson. Oh and so God. it made me think about that. And so I went and Googled it. And this is a completely different example. And there's a lot of different factors and stuff. Hanako is doing great. <laughs> so they're they're an entrepreneur. They're still kicking ass and, and doing all those things. But I was like, I would be so, I mean, I'm still little, you know, felt a lot for her, you know, beating this record and then getting one up, literally one, one extra meter. But, um, it, it it did it did make me worry be like i wonder if she just kind of got faded into you know history as well like did she a thousand percent i didn't even look into her i didn't even think about doing that that's, so that's hilarious. that would be terrible and and i think about too how some professional athletes it, it just depends on the sport right but like i, I like i grew up loving skateboarding or snowboarding and mo a lot of times the most marketable person was the most successful so even if they weren't the most talented in certain sports and other sports, right? Like you get large team sports, you have to be performing at a certain level. But there were a couple of guys growing up, you know, in skateboarding or snowboarding who just were remarkable. Like you got a guy like Sean White mm -hmm. and he was obviously phenomenal, one of the best ever. There are people who are better than him at, at certain parts of snowboarding because there's so many different categories, right? Yeah. Um, he's a marketable guy. Like he has that iconic interview where he's like, oh yeah, the waitress was bringing me drinks and the the news anchor's like, drinks, aren't you only 18? <laughs> and like, you know, just these incredible yeah. moments in his career. I watched a documentary on him recently, speaking of, and like he he was, a, again, phenomenal, but just he was an easily marketable person. And so brand deals and mm. commercial success. I, when I say success, that's what I mean. Commercial success follows those people more often than not. And so that that made me think of that right how yeah in some sports not all not, not all, all but like even in the nfl you think of a guy like baker mayfield was in every commercial known to man in the last few years not not a top 20 yeah. quarterback but anyways just yeah no that. that's a good point i think thinking about success too right um this idea of sean white being a successful snowboarder these other athletes being successful and being like likability being a huge part of that and i think I think it's the psychology of money by Morgan Housel, I believe is his name. He he talks about how I think it was this book. He how being like talent and smarts can only get you so far when it comes to being successful with mm. money, but having a good like having a good personality or being a good person or your likability can excel you in being even more wealthy and how there is something correlated with wealth and it made me it did make me think about that with Steven when Steven talked mm. often about success and how he was very likable, but he didn't put himself out there, you know? And as soon as he launched the, um, the, the free diving school in, in Egypt in Dahad, I think it's yeah. the city Dahad and how his social media manager was like, Hey, you need to put your name out there. Like you need, you yeah. need to be yeah. in the limelight and how his school blew up and how he got, really big and his school got famous and he became this big person um in the free diving community and in this world and i think 
to connect what you're saying about like skill can only get you, you know, so far. But like the fact that even Steven saying, hey, I like who you are and I can see something in you, um, Alicia, I'm going to train you. Like you have the world's best free safety person who's willing to give up their limited amount of time to train you. That I think is linked to 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 likability, but I'm curious yeah. what your thoughts are on 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 the success part because I think that was that part really wrecked me when Stephen says like success to him is is fulfilling your dreams and going after your aspirations, but then he kind of pauses and he's like, maybe I'm not successful though because I'm 38 years old, I don't have a partner, I don't have kids, and all my friends have kids, and that is a part of success. And so it did get me thinking, and I'm curious what your thoughts are around the, around this idea of what it means to be successful and not just in your work or your notoriety, but also in your, cause I feel like you're in the opposite. Like I'm closer to Steven, right? Because I'm 32, don't have kids and you're the opposite cause you're not 32 and you already have kids. But have you ever thought of it that in that way? Yeah. I think it's, I was reminded when you started talking about this about I watched uh, the hundred foot wave which followed I think it was I just looked up Garrett McNamara trying to chase the hundred foot wave and in, in I guess it's called Nazare first person to ride it and that opened my eyes to a whole new sport like I I really mainly over my years have followed commercial sports right like you know NFL watching basketball I like skateboarding which wasn't really commercial sport but like money followed those successful athletes but with yeah like this guy who chased the 100 foot wave and even in free diving there is money that follows sponsorships but they don't become extremely wealthy i guess you would say like these other commercial sports but they're just chasing their goal and so thinking of success like that i think somehow like when steven was talking about that i was thinking okay there's a part of who was talk show host shannon sharp talked about that mm. recently on before he left skip bayless's show He's like, I'd love to have a wife. I didn't have anybody to share my success with over the years. And I thought that was interesting because, and some people will go through their whole lives without wanting that. But I think yeah. it's something people maybe have deep down and maybe discover it later. And some people never discover it. But the idea of sharing that success with somebody and whether it's a, a spouse and kids or just a spouse. But I think the idea of being able to enjoy that success with family or somebody close to you because and again people have very different definitions of success but for me anything that i achieve in the rest of my years I, i'm glad i am able to share it with my family and other people maybe have different kind of stories but i've liked that i've always liked i've always had good relationship with like family even mm. distant family and so that's why to me it was nice to start a family early personally but yeah. other people have different definitions of success or timing and i think that's fine but it, i it was interesting i didn't you didn't expect that from someone like him when you when you're watching it for him to say something like that but yeah and i was i was curious i was curious too because i yeah i think for someone who approached life the way he did and how death played a huge impact into his life decisions and traveling and going to these different countries and living all over, you know, being born in Ireland and then not yeah. staying there and kind of traveling all over. And, and even he was like, I'm, I'm coming home. And then he went to um, Egypt and found a new home and he stayed there accidentally about free diving. And, doing, and yeah. so I think, I think even in, in, from the outside looking in, it is, it is easy to think, oh, he was successful and he probably sees himself successfully. And I'm curious if a lot of the 38 and the kids and is a cultural thing too, because I think, you know, me being Mexican American and and I I think that there is some like kindredness sometimes with with Irish mm -hmm. uh, culture with Mexican culture in terms of you're culturally you can be cult, uh, culturally religious or have a lot of kids or you very um, collective uh, thinking and mindset because I I know for myself I definitely have felt that pressure in my life uh be seeing you know cousins have kids and brother have kids and people want families and doing all these you know different things or getting married young a lot of my friends you know yeah. um, including yourself you know like yeah people got married young or or they had kids early in their in their relationship and i think when you're sitting in that you could feel pretty unsuccessful 
but I think I don't know if people, yeah, I don't know if like like we were saying, Stephen didn't really give that off impression. I don't know if I give off that impression either. Um, I'm not even sure. I mean, you know, I'm not even sure about kids necessarily, but I don't know if people just give off if I give off that impression that I I feel like successful because I've done all these things uh, or been all these different places. But it is interesting how we see ourselves differently than. Uh, how other people might see us or even allowing other people we per, we're projecting their own expectations on ourselves right like i don't think i don't know maybe steven's friends did want him to have kids and start a family and did see him as unsuccessful and maybe they didn't and he just felt that way because i think oftentimes that's that's where i i land where i i assume expectations for people to have on me Especially from, like you said, the cultural side of it. Like even us, we have just two kids and we're always here. When are you having more? When are you having more? It's like, I'm not mm. popping out kids just because it's like the New Mexican Hispanic thing to do to pop yeah. out a bunch of kids. Like we're, we're, we're done yeah. and we love our two kids and we're grateful for them. But it's like, there is that like, you should just be having more kids or yeah. you should just be having kids to begin with. Right. So families who don't have kids, right. It, there's that pressure all the time of like. Oh, okay. Now you got step one. You're married. Where are the kids? And so, yes, huge cultural thing. And, but it's interesting that you say that were people even projecting that on him or was it his own self doubt? Probably combo of both. Like you said, with, with cultural conversations, I'm sure family or even friends that he had that were part of the same culture who've said that because I, I see it less among our generation between families, more from like, older generations down to young married couples like we have kids now and we have kids and we we don't pressure people to have kids yeah you know it, because it's like i i remember having a conversation with a friend once who was like mm, i think right now i'm too selfish to have kids and i was like fantastic like being self-aware enough to understand that you don't that's amazing yeah what because someone said you should and you pop them out and you still have that selfish feeling or you still have that um, feeling that you want to do things that you never got to to do before, but then you resent your kids, right? So there's this whole thing of like, just because sure. society is said to, I think being able to recognize that you don't want that is a respectable thing because man, I'm, there's so many kids who suffer from parents who didn't want them. Yeah. And like, that's where that comes from. It's like, uh, it's a, anyways, I, I think back to that conversation a lot because it's being self-aware to be like, that's just not, I don't think that's in the cards for me. Great, sweet you're honest enough about that rather than reluctantly going into being a parent because somebody else said you should. Yeah. And that's a terrible, that's a, not a fun upbringing for that kid, you know? Yeah. Right. No, the, having the self-awareness of the time and energy of th- it, that you want to put into certain things for sure. And, you know, having a kid and I'm going to say pets too, but I'm not trying to equate kids and pets necessarily although some people have that bond right that they are yeah they are close they are family right and so yeah but to say similarly to what your friend's saying like yeah i like my spontaneity i like being able to just pick up and and you know i get a work i get a gig they're like hey we need you to fly out this weekend and i don't have to worry about babysitting or house sitting or pet sitting or what the dog's gonna do and you know how yeah they need to be fed or whatever and all these different moving parts i like being able to bounce around and do different things and in a way that you know kids and pets don't necessarily uh you know allow you to do but that being said too there is there's something really nice in the sacrifice that uh, that i actually have no idea i don't know what the other side is like i say i like living the my life the way it is the way i am and i quote unquote selfish right feel selfish or whatever but who knows? Like I, you know, you all of a sudden have a kid, and now all of a sudden those those random last minute trips, you know, to do work or travel or go um, bounce around. Like maybe I do like planning routes, and maybe I do like being able to say no because I care about something in this experience with 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 starting a family and kids way more than I ever would would enjoy being a single dude just doing what I'm doing. But I don't know. You don't really know that until you're living it, you know. So yeah, and of all the commitments, the big that's the biggest because that's the other thing, right? Is you can try this job, you can try this living here, doing all these different things, and there's little to no consequence. Yeah, you know, if it doesn't work out, that's one of those things where you may take that jump. You know. Oh yeah. Then you're you're in it. You're in the deep. You're in the deep end, dude. Honestly, having kids probably similar for me to free diving. 
Just- I'm gonna be honest. It has been harder for us to have people watch the dogs when we go out of town. Like if mm. Kelly and I, just the two of us, they get trip. Getting someone to watch the dogs is much harder than you than watching the kids. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Dude. Well, hilarious. Dude, people aren't allergic to kids. Yeah, I think at least some people are allergic. Some to people dogs. mentally. No, but uh, well, dude. Okay, so I have like maybe one or two last things about takeaways about Steven. Do you have any last thoughts or anything else you want to hit on before? I don't think so. All righty. Well, dude, one of the one of the things, dude, rest in peace, Steven, I thought was really cool. Um, how many people he impacted and showed mm. up and, at his funeral and for his life. Um, and that that was touching. I, I, I thought that was a really rad thing because that is definitely something I think about too, of like, which is so weird to think about, you know, your own funeral. But um, to be like, yeah. I wonder if people are going to show up or who's going to show up or how people are going to show up. What are people going to say? It's almost, and this is going to sound wild and maybe um, dumb, but I'm like, I almost would, I would, I want, I would like to attend my own funeral. And that's such a dumb thing to say. And maybe that's a lot to do with, you know, some insecurities and therapy stuff that I need to work through. But what Steven said, though, I thought one of my bigger takeaways from this documentary when he had another conversation about yeah, the successful part. And he was just saying to live, to be happy and to believe in yourself. And I thought the the to believe in yourself part about being successful, I wasn't, I don't think I ever really connected those two together to say that what it means to be successful involves believing in myself. And, and maybe that's because for me, I have a harder time believing in myself and maybe some other successful people are like, duh, Josh, that's very obvious and that is dumb of you to not, <laughs> to not connect the dots. That's like, yeah, you have to believe in yourself to be successful and move up in these different places. And so, but um, yeah, that was, that was, I think that stuck out, out to me. And especially uh, I thought it was such a nice comment to say that, that Steven was one of those people you, you, that could show what it really means to hug someone. And I thought that was a really, that's like a really cool way to be known for is, it's like, oh, Steven was known for how he embraced and made people feel when he hugged them. And I thought that was like pretty rad. I guess maybe that ties it in, right? Like what success looked like at the end of your life? What what did you leave behind? So maybe that's where that comes from where he's like, oh, if I didn't have kids or a wife, like what mm. am I really leaving behind? But it can be through other people. And it obviously was like that really cool moment at the end where they all did, I think the, th- how many seconds was 39 it? 32 sec- sec- 39, 39 seconds. And so- that's like maybe that's the answer that's what success is right what what you've left behind the impact you've made on people because you know i i think you and i've talked about this before and somebody said it maybe it's something that you can easily google or maybe it's just something someone told me a few years back but that there's no such thing as a neutral interaction that you have with another human it's either positive or negative even if Mm. it's minor right picking up your coffee at starbucks like paying for food at at the thai spot that we go to all the time Mm. when we when you know sign the the, the the ticket and leave it might feel neutral but there's really no true neutral interaction between humans it's either positive or negative and so it's like what did you leave behind how did you make people feel yeah and so yeah okay it's just that whole cliche thing right like you can't take your money with you but really it's true right so you can have a bunch of kids but if you weren't a present father what what does that mean right so he's talking about oh i didn't have kids yeah so you don't have kids but you had an impact around the people that you were around, the people that you worked with, the people you went to school with, the people you that you live with. And so maybe that's what success is, right? I don't know. I, yeah, I like that a lot, right? He clearly had a large impact even though he felt, you know, maybe I was missing something. But yeah. not, not, not clearly to the people around him, Yeah, you know, or clearly not to the people around him. For sure. Yeah, dude. It was, it was yeah. For me though, dude, though, that unexpectedly, I did not watch this thinking it was going to be like a full watch. I didn't think it was going to, have me thinking about this for a while after watching or let alone watch it twice. Um, yeah. Cause like I said, I didn't know anything about free diving. I didn't know about that world. And so this was a surprisingly, you know, I wouldn't say it was like a heavy on the laughter side. There was a few times where I like, you know, got a little, a little laugh at a little giggle, yeah. but like it, it was a little lighter on the, on the laugh side, but um, for sure emotions, like even, even the second watch gave me, tears of joy i think the first time i was just like shocked about like what am i watching where is this going what's going on yeah but then the second watch i definitely think that there was a lot of like you know emotions moving me good emotions that moved me to like want to tear and then definitely dude that the first time that ending just completely like i would definitely i definitely had tears i definitely cried of like 
I just couldn't believe when they popped up and then it was um, Alicia in the interview. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, no. crazy. Like, not crazy. that I wanted her to die. That's not what For I mean sure. at all. But I was just like, this yep. is wild. It's as wild as when they, you know, like the whole Faults in Our Stars where you're like, wait a second. Yeah. What do you mean? You know, uh, August, or is it, they call him Gus or whatever. Gus yeah. Waters. He had like a 95% chance. Like the whole book, you're like, he's fine. Like he's going to be. And that's how I felt in this of, of like, and then I want, but watching the second time, it was very obvious. Like it could yeah. have gone either way. And I was like, I think I just got suckered into the editing and the way that the story was being told, the way they shaped it. Cause they did spend a lot of time on Steven that I just didn't really realize. But I think I was just so like, she's the subject, she's the main person. And, but like you're saying, both parents were saying like past tense with both, past tense, yep, with yep. both characters. And so out of the two, and especially when they opened that shot where she, was blacking out and then they came back to it later i realized oh that's not when she died but also she maybe that was a close call but anyways it definitely for me it was you know a pretty good full watch um yep. think laugh cry and i think as well i, I think i do recommend it as well if people check it out yep. on netflix 100 percent. all righty well hey thanks for listening y'all this was the uh the first uh, episode of Living a Stream, where we go through moments of our lives, full moments in our own lives. We share different experiences that make us think, laugh, and cry. And then we try to find movies that are, or movie shows and documentaries that are also full watching experiences that, you know, make us think, make us laugh, and have emotions moving us to tears. So thanks again for listening. This was a. Uh, Three Milks Media Production, uh, co-produced by Eric Harrison, produced by me. And we uh, encourage you to, yeah, share, subscribe. Uh, if you want to subscribe to our Substack, it's in our show notes. You'll get episodes sent directly to you and potentially some bonus content from time to time that won't be on your normal Spotify and Apple podcast platforms. <laughs>